Welcome to this curious thing getting. We're your hosts, David Swinger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast and leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter. We're here to talk about some recent news headlines and hopefully provide some insight, analysis, and practical application that you can take in the office to help protect your organization. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. Become a CISO. Double the stress, half the pay, but just think of the benefits. Late nights, lack of sleep, a title with a C in it. Become everyone's scapegoat. You know you want to do it. That's a good recruiting pitch. Yeah, I've been working on it. I've been working on it. You will never catch me being a CISO. I'm not. Oh, no, I don't want to say anything that will piss off any CISOs I know. All right, never mind. <laughs> All right, so the first article. I'm just happy to be a yes man. Let the system know that everything is going great. So first article, predicts 2023, cybersecurity industry focuses on the human deal by Gartner. This is from BitSight. This is referencing Gartner's 2023 prediction report, but you can't access it unless you have a Gartner subscription. So we're just going to discuss this summary article. Well, uh, if you go to BitSight, you can download it for free. Oh, I just didn't read it then. Oh, you know what I did? I remember looking at it and then being like, eh, this isn't that interesting. Let's just stick with the... The discussion points. Did you read the uh, the whole thing? I perused it. All right. <laughs> All right. So discussion points. Number one, they they gave they gave us five discussion points for their summary. Number one, human vulnerabilities cause the most cyber attacks. We've discussed this since the beginning of the podcast. Pretty much all security issues are humans as the root cause. Humans clicking on phishing links, humans accepting two-factor auth requests they didn't make, not patching within a reasonable time frame, reusing passwords, simple passwords, poor hygiene and configuration. They're all human issues. But my therapist says I'm supposed to be vulnerable. <laughs> and you know, companies are people too, so that makes total sense. <laughs> well, they're U.S. persons anyway. <laughs> They also quote stress and burnout. Decision fatigue is a big part of it, I think. And I'm, and this will actually come in later as I continue working through this. I was like, oh, this actually matches what I was going to say here. But I think as much as we can remove decisions on security related stuff, the better off we will all be security wise. Don't even give people the ability to not be secure. But they, they, interestingly enough, they, I think, at least for this part of the article later, they seem to agree with that statement, but this part of the article, they seem to disagree with it. They want security leaders to refocus on people and education and operating model, which are fine band-aids, but I don't think they address the root cause. The root cause is people make bad decisions sometimes. Um, they had an interesting quote here. Security programs founded on technology-centric investments are not delivering on the full risk management outcomes expected. That partially has to do with the humans, I'm sure, but it also likely has to do with are those technology-centric investments being fully staffed and funded? But I feel like that's something that I see quite a bit, where they simply buy a tool and they install the tool, and then they're like, "Woo, we did it. We're done. Well, if you think about it, when you're in budget conversations every year, how often do they say, hey, we're going to buy and deploy this tool, or, you know, we need to, or, or it's just a litany of tools and that want to be purchased and deployed. They don't talk about, hey, well, we need to spend a year improving our processes, or we need to spend a year on yeah. improving the way we do this thing. And instead, the plans for the next year are always about buying the next thing. Instead of saying, well, we're going to spend this much more on training, or we're going to bring in consultants to te teach our people how to do this thing so we get better at that thing. It's virtually never focused around human improvement. And it's always focused around buying new and shiny toys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Everybody loves a new and shiny toy. That's for sure. And also, yeah. And part of that too, is it's hard to quantify that. Like in terms of a budget, it's super easy to say that, you know, buying this tool is going to cost us $300,000, but then saying that we also need to hire two engineers to support it, which will cost more than the tool itself. And, or, you know, it's going to take X amount of time over the next 10 years to make sure that we get our full investment out of the school, which will cost way more than the tool itself. Well, that comes two years later. You know, you'll buy the tool, you deploy it, and then you realize, hey, we really should have planned for more man hours to deal with this tool. Then you say, oh, I I need two more billets or whatever. Yep. Happens all the time. All right. Second item. Strong cybersecurity performance is a business enabler. Of course Business enablers, they quote here, are creating trust in the brand, making better risk decisions based on data, being able to participate in the digital economy, improving insurance company, improving insurance coverage. Well, you so, can improve your insurance company too. <laughs> We're at it. I don't really care to talk that much about it. I don't care about business. That's why I will never be a CISO. One thing I did want to point out here is that they did have as a stress point for security teams that they are only playing defense and they can't win. They have a quote from Gartner on putting points on the board rather than just blocking a point opponents. And I don't know how you do that without breaking the law. I'm sure they're not talking about offensive security here or hacking back, right? I'm not sure what they mean by by that quote. But what I would say is that since since security can't win, really you're, and this is what we've talked about since we started this podcast, and that's the, the theme behind the the security Serengeti, is that you know you're not in, at war where there's a there's a definitive end where you win. You always have to defend. So I would say putting points on the board. What I would say is showing a a continual improvement in what you do, and that is how you put points on the board. You know, you reduce the amount of time that it takes you to do instant response. You are at the forefront of more projects, reducing the, the, the amount of rework that has to be done by developers later on in order to secure code that, they've, they've, that they didn't do in the, in the beginning or something like that. So showing that there's improvement is how you put points on the board, in my opinion. I'm not sure exactly what they meant by that statement here, though. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either. <laughs> but their point. I think the point is valid, at least that you do have to redefine success. Like you said, like you never can win just playing defense from year to year. So, so I can see maybe recategorizing success and making sure that you're doing something to, you know, convince your folks that you're, you're winning in some fashion. I don't know. I don't know. So next item of discussion, CISOs must integrate cybersecurity into the overall business. To quote from the, the article, we streamline it. When we help the enterprise proactively design people, processes, and technology systems that are inherently more secure and resilient. You're right. Because actually, it's funny that I was all like, whatever, integrate cybersecurity. And I actually have a point later where I specifically call this out. I am not very consistent. (laughs) You hypocrite. (laughs) You hypocrite. But I might as well make the point now, which is IT security will almost always fail if it is tacked on at the end. You have to be in it from the beginning. And you have to be helping to make sure the tools processes are as securely designed as possible from the start. Because that relates right back to the first one, which is if you give the people the ability to do it in an insecure manner, and it is easier to do it in an insecure manner, they're just going to do that. Right. And actually, a lot of places I've been, the security team is actually tries to drive the organization towards efficiency and making improvements versus always saying, well, no, you can't do that. Often suggesting, hey, this is a better way to do it. I'm not saying that that's always been a successful or, or 
or greeted with open arms. But I have seen that security teams are making that shift from their, from that perspective. It's just a hard thing to change the mindset that is already ingrained in people that security is a problem. And it's better just to not deal with them until you have to versus so, actually bring them in up front. So that actually brings up a really good point. Because again, the, the biggest reason that people try to dodge security is because of those inefficiencies. If you can use security to help drive efficiencies, that addresses potentially two problems, the security issue and the you know future issue of the person attempting to get around it. So it's certainly an interesting, interesting way to look at it. All right. Right. Because you could do that through like automated workflows and pre-approvals and automated data collection and or reduce the collection requirements for just to needed data elements as well. Because for instance, you know, organizations might say, well, you can't send any data outside the organization without following this process or whatever, but maybe you could build pre-approval. So if you bring out a new tool, let's say you, 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 you buy a bunch of Cisco routers or whatever. There are going to be instances where you're going to have to troubleshoot and send Cisco data. So you go through a pre-approval process to say, you know, this is the type of data you can send and this is who you can send it to and this is when you can send it and have that pre-approved so you don't have to go through some kind of data transmission process or approval process or whatever every time you have to troubleshoot something. So things like that, trying to get in front of things that cause friction in the organization. Mm -hmm. All right. Item number four, which is actually highly related to what we were just talking about. Number four is process fatigue encourages high-risk workarounds. So far, like three of these have been highly interrelated, which makes me wonder if they're really, oh, whatever. I guess really... I jumped ahead. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like like David just said, he, he kind of mentioned these. Having automated systems or systems that are set up in such a way that making a good decision is easier than making a bad decision. He mentioned pre-approvals, automated workflows, automated patching, reducing your data collection to truly needed data elements, all the stuff that he just mentioned. They did have an interesting quote here, quote, 90% of employees who admitted undertaking a range of insecure actions knew that their actions would increase risk. So they did it specifically. It's just, I don't know. They, they knew that it was bad. They knew that it was going to be a problem. They were like, I'm going to do it anyways. Do it again. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, risk, that's a future thing. And whatever yeah. they were doing at the moment was a present thing. So they're certainly willing to put put off whatever that is to the future. Yeah, we're not very kind to future us's, are we? No, actually, there was some study that said that in the human mind, of, they, we see our future selves as strangers and treat them the same. It's old Seinfeld bit about, you know, nighttime Jerry and morning Jerry. It's pretty funny, but if you, if you see it, I'm sure you can find it on, uh, yeah, on yeah. YouTube. That is, yeah, yeah. My future self will handle this. We seem to think a lot of our future selves. All right. Well, I we remember... assume that they're better than our present self. Yeah, yeah. Would that we treated strangers the same way. Number five, as the attack surface expands, the leaders need more visibility. That seems fair, although that seems pretty self-evident. This does slot nicely into the new expansion of ASM attack surface monitoring tools and services, which is you know, helpful. Although I don't know, you could say that this is contrived as such, depending on how conspiracy theory you are. I mean, this is Gardner. And of course, inventory of software and assets is number one and two of the top CIS top controls and inventory of accounts is like number five, I think. So yeah, I didn't have anything else to say here either. So why does this matter? Well, it's always interesting to see what the consultants analysts think is going to be important every year. It's rarely a game changer, but A, it can be insightful, 
And B, this does help you to anticipate what your CISO and your directors are looking at because these are the people they tend to lean on for their priorities. What should you do about it? Well, tax service monitoring is a cool newish capability that's really come into its own in the last year or so. I should probably look into it if you haven't. And you can tell your director that Gartner said to do it. And then the second point I already mentioned before, which is that IT security almost always fails if you only just stick it on at the end. All right. So the next article is one in four CISOs want to say sayonara to security. And this comes to us from dark reading. <laughs> yeah, but it's another Gartner prediction story. Well, they're the only ones that predict the future. We have to rely oh, on them. That's fair. So they predict that 50% of security leaders will change jobs by 2025. And that one quarter will leave security altogether. That is a lot. They said by 2025. So... But is that that much of a prediction? There's a lot of job hopping and promotion. Like when they say security leaders, are they specifically talking CISOs or are they talking like directors and managers too? I think they leave that purposefully vague. Yeah, because the headline calls out CISOs, but the, the actual content does not necessarily say that. I'm just, yeah, I mean, frankly, like a quarter of the people, so the 50% that will change jobs, like that makes sense. Like people job hop and people get promoted and people change jobs pretty often in this space. So. Yeah, and I've always heard that CISO, the, 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 the amount of time that a CISO spends, spends in any one role is generally between 18 and 36 months anyway. So this just sounds like par for the course, to be honest. I think what's different if, is, is just that last point about the 25% are going to get out of the cybersecurity altogether. Yeah, that part is a little surprising. A little surprising. But this suggests that the main stressors that contribute to the attrition are compliance-centric programs. Yeah, I don't doubt that. It's a pain. Low executive support, which kind of seems like wasted investment, really. So you spend all this money building up a security team. You have all these folks, but you don't provide them the support in the rest of the business for them to accomplish what they need to accomplish. So it seems like you're spending all this money on this entire program, but you're not ensuring that you get the output that, you, that, you, that you're expecting from it because you don't support it properly enough. And then the last one, low maturity. And that's the, to me, that's kind of the CISO's fault. I mean, the CISO should be driving the improvement in maturity. Oh, actually, weren't they talking about overall industry maturity, I think? That note may be cut off. I When I saw it, I was thinking like individual maturity of the companies, but I mean- No, I think they be... were they, they were referring to the overall low maturity of the entire security cybersecurity industry as a whole. Subpar industry level maturity. Yep. I don't know what that means exactly. Like I can- like if I like if you're talking about a single company's maturity level, then like I can stick that on a mental model of you know capability maturity models. Right, what but is, the CISO should be working to improve. That's the kind yeah. of the point of them being there. So, but see, it says subpar industry level maturity are all indicators of an organization. So that's why I direct it back to the organization. Hmm. So maybe they're saying and maturity compared to the industry. And, uh, uh, it's just poorly worded. Then I can agree with that. Uh, but typically, they talk about the burnout of of the lower level security folks, sock workers suffering from alert fatigue and things of that nature. But the CISOs, of course, they have different kind of worries that lead them to burnout. You know, high expectations, low support. We just talked about fear of, fear of their reputation being damaged should a breach occur. And of course, getting canned from that. Yeah. Do we, do we, are there any other C-level or executives that typically are called out by name? Like if a marketing campaign fails, does the chief marketing officer get called out by name usually? I don't know, but if they have a sales team, the sales exec would get canned if they fail to meet their numbers for sure. 
Yeah, I was just, I was, yeah, I was just thinking if there's any other industry where, where, because we're talking about the reputational damage part, because mm-hmm. we do tend to like list out the CISO, the company that gets breached, and put them in the news article. Huh. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's only because I pay attention to security specifically, and I don't pay attention to marketing. Right. Well, we just talked a minute ago about how you can't measure marketing, yeah. so <laughs> I think marketing is probably pretty safe. That's but fair. I think the sales guys. Those are the guys that are in trouble when they don't hit their numbers. Because that's something that's easily measured and tracked. Yeah. And if you get breached, I think that's a pretty th- easy thing to track. So, but apparently, you know, since uh, Uber's Joe Sullivan got to tossed in the clink, there may be concerns around that. And the pay is not commensurate with the stresses. And the level of responsibility. Yeah. So some CISOs, I guess they're out there, make a million dollars a year. I mean, I, I bet Fortune 100 CISOs probably make... Close to, if not a million a year. Once you include their salary and bonuses and stock options, I bet they're up there. Yeah, it's a nice chunk of change. Yeah, yeah. But the median salary is two forty three, and the top ninety percent is when you say top ninety percent, that's the top ten percent, right? Yeah, the ninetieth percentile. The ninetieth percentile. I hate yeah. the way they word that. Sorry. Make almost three hundred k, and then you add another bonus on top of that of fifty to one hundred. Yeah, and four hundred thousand dollars is not. A bad haul for a year. And normally, one, one one stinger missile, or missile, or and and, and you guys and all, all of our listeners fire. know, all of our listeners know that I would never, that well, that I would never hesitate to laugh at another executive that wasn't paid enough. But in this case, with inflated security salaries being where they are, I I almost do kind of agree that CISOs aren't being paid enough. You can make as a senior security engineer. The top 10% or the 90th percentile salary is 150000 rounded. As a security director, it's 217000 You're telling me that the CISO only makes 80000 more than a director, but they are solely responsible for everything and they get fired if something goes wrong? Right. Uh, yeah. Like the, and, and just thinking from my experience, you can get by with working 40 to 45 hours in a lot of places as a manager and engineer. But then moving up to a director... Now you're expected to, you know, see your evenings and weekends get eaten up. When you're a CISO, when you're a C-level and you're a named officer, you're potentially on all of the time. You're traveling everywhere. You can be fired for this and potentially held legally liable. And you're only making, what is that, 33% more than the director? Right. So, yeah. It's like they're not being paid for their risk. Right. And that's supposed to be the whole point, right? That's the reason that C-levels make so much money is it's a high-risk, high-reward position. They can be held liable. They can be punished for the failures of their company. They're taking all of it on them. But as opposed to CISOs, I'm sorry, as opposed to like CEOs who are making $50 million, like I'm not saying that CISOs should be paid $20 million, but you know, a million bucks a year seems like a reasonable reward for potentially going to jail. It's not bad. Well, one of the challenges there is, you know, maybe if you pay them too much, you know, they're that one, that 25% is going to jump up to 50%. You're like, Hey, I, I made a million bucks last year. I've been, you know, I'm going to go. I don't uh, think so. Become a gardener for it a depends. Bit. It depends where you live, but, st- but a lot of places, if you want to live on the coasts, you've got to save like five or 6 million to retire. If you assume the, what the 3% drawdown model, if you have $5 million and you withdraw 3% a year and you can go on forever, that's only $150,000 a year living on the coast. That is a middle-class lifestyle, unfortunately. Well, who's going to retire on the coast? It's not a good idea. That's fair. That's fair. Making your, you know, working for 
but you still have to work like 10 years as a CISO and save half your money to end up, well, I guess that's not counting however years you worked up before that and how much you saved, but you can't just work a year and do it. You still have to work a couple of years to get your numbers up. But yeah, 5 million and go retire in Arkansas or Montana and you can live like a king. I know, but a king, maybe a duke. <laughs> maybe a duke. <laughs> it kind of sounds like, you know, and this is actually something I hadn't thought about before is that CISOs are suffering from the same issues or challenges that the regular security folks are, are dealing with down at the lower levels with the with the the burnout and the disillusionment, I guess, with the challenges around how hard security actually is. I think the obvious solution here is that we should need to pay those poor benighted CISOs more. They deserve it, by God. Just kidding. Sounds like almost time to rethink how we've structured our security programs because it really looks like we've set ourselves up for failure if we're having this burnout issue and stress issue all the way from the top to the bottom? Well, I think for security, I think it would really benefit more security folks to study stoicism a bit. And because yeah. it really, it kind of sets the tone for realizing that, you know, like we talked about before, you can't win. Yeah. Um, yeah you can't win at life. Everybody dies. Right. <laughs> so you have to, you have to be able to live with what happens and, you know, that's really kind of part of the, 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 the core of the Stoic philosophy or the Stoic philosophy is being able to accept what you can't change and the challenges with that. Yeah, what's important is your that. reaction to how things happen. Right. Another thing, I think at least as far as being in management insecurity, you have to really set your own work-life balance. Unless you've got a boss that's really all over you, you're the one that's actually pushing yourself to eat up your nights and weekends. And I think you can, you can, you can set your, you can do better to set your own boundaries than you think you have. I think most of the, most of the management, management folks actually push themselves and wreck their own work-life balance. It's not their, their bosses that are doing that. And you can set boundaries and expectations with your boss as well so that you achieve that, that what your expectations are and not have your entire life consumed by your job. Wait, I can? God damn it. I was talking about people in management, Matt. <laughs> I mean, you're right though, because work is just going to pull as much as it can out of you. If you give it more and it asks, then it's going to ask for more and it's going to keep asking for more. So. Yeah, it's like a highway. You add another lane, you get that lane filled with traffic, you know? Yeah. All right. Next one is GoDaddy, hacker stole source code, installed malware in multi-year breach. For as juicy as the title is, there was a startling lack of information in here. He has had three separate breaches in the past four years, and they are now suggesting they were all linked. Uh, this article is from Bleeping Computer, but there was another one from the register, and there's been a whole bunch of articles about this one in the last couple of weeks. Wait, let's get to the punchline. It was the Russians. It was the Russians. October 2019 was the first one, which was disclosed in March 2020. 28,000 customers were breached by an attacker using web hosting account credentials. November 2021, they disclosed that 1.2 million managed WordPress customers were affected. Attackers used a compromised password to access the hosting environment. I assume at like a super admin level or at a, or at a hypervisor level. And then in December 2022, customers were reporting their sites were being used to redirect to malware domains. Apparently, the attacker accessed their cPanel environment and installed malware that had intermittent redirects to malware domains to make it harder to track down. So, Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot harder to troubleshoot if it only happens, you know, one in a thousand times or something. They didn't say how long it took them to actually figure that one out, but I imagine it was painful because they did mention they tried to reproduce the issue and couldn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So discussion points. Were these three separate breaches by the same actors? That's what they're implying. Or was this one long breach and they just never found root cause or the original backdoor? 
it is i find it a little weird that they were targeted three separate times by the same actor well, it could be kind of like we talked about with the last pass breach, where they achieved in the first one cascaded into stage. the second and third yeah. ones. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes more sense to me than keeping. Although, if they are truly a group that targets hosting companies, as they say, then there's only so many hosting companies. But I don't know. Yeah, and I think I think GoDaddy might be the largest. Yeah, yeah, it's possible they found three completely different. So GoDaddy would be a prime target, compromise one target, get access to millions of companies and sites. Although I'm, one thing that I thought was kind of weird here was if you're good enough to compromise them this thoroughly in three different ways, assuming it's three different ways, why waste it on malware redirections? They said that, quote, this was a sophisticated and organized group targeting hosting services like GoDaddy and, quote, their apparent goal is to infect websites and servers with malware for phishing campaigns, malware, distribu malware distribution, and other malicious activities. I mean, what would you do if you had access to millions of websites? I, don't know. I wouldn't call it. I don't know. You could, they, I suppose you could be sophisticated and short-sighted and not really realize the potential of what you've yeah. got. Is that, you know, the, the, the dog can be fast enough to catch the car, but doesn't know what he does, what to do with it when, he got it, when he's got yeah. it. Could be the same thing with these guys. I, I guess it wouldn't preclude them from being sophisticated just because they did something stupid with it. And I don't know that I believe. There's a full value of it. Yeah, I don't know that I believe whenever anybody says sophisticated. That's just the watchword they always use to mean mm, we couldn't yeah, right. stop them. Yeah. Everybody's an APT because you couldn't possibly prevent <laughs> against an APT yeah. or a uh, state-sponsored yeah. attacker, yeah. right? I, I, I was thinking about it. I, so, although one, one thing about this, yeah, sure, you have access to possibly millions of websites, but a lot of them are, you know, your church website and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I think what I would do is I'd let, I'd sell this to someone else and let them take the heat. I'd be the access broker and then... That way, when that person messed up, it would get tracked back to that person. Right. Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe constantly skim credentials off the individual websites and sell them, you know, for some constant income. Something quieter than delivering malware. Delivering malware is easy to detect, in my opinion. So GoDaddy says there was no material impact. I know they have to do this because of the lawyers, but I don't even know how they could even tell. They, they probably have no real idea of how many people were targeted. They I mean, might if be no material impact to them. Maybe it didn't cost them a nickel. <laughs> All right, that's fair. You're right. You're right. There's no material impact to GoDaddy. All right. So why does this matter? Who does your company use for hosting? And how much impact would there be if an attacker gained access to it? Just like we outsource everything else, we outsource our hosting of our websites, our hosting of our servers. Well, what do we see the other week? Someone lost their entire Office 360 or Office, their hosted exchange environment. I don't remember which which company that was, but. Uh, do you have a backup restoration or migration plan if your hosting provider is compromised? How quickly could you get back up and running? Could you even tell if someone was using your website to distribute malware? Well, uh, see, actually, mm -hmm. if, you know, if your hosting provider is compromised, though, you have to work with them in order to transfer domains. So, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure if that's really an option, depending on how had they've, they've been. You know, Oh, I mean? you could put a redirect up. But no, you're right. Yeah, no, you're right. Because if they're completely ransomware, they're not even going to be able to serve a redirect notice. Um, hmm, you have to put that in your DNS records, right? Yep. Like, like change where it, what what IP address it. So maybe maybe the idea there is you have to split your risk and you don't do your DNS hosting and your server hosting or website hosting at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It is surprisingly hard to figure out if someone's using your website to distribute malware if you're not watching it though. I think that's all for that article. It was a little interesting, but they didn't have very many details, unfortunately. 
No, the, the next one is the one that's super exciting, which is the 2023 attack roadmap. And this comes to us from Medium. Uh, and the name says it all. And as usual, the attack framework releases in April and October their changes. So this is outlining what's going to happen in those two changes or what they're expecting to anyway for the April and October releases. Yeah. Yeah. Looks interesting. They laid out a bunch of areas where they're going to be working on improving things. They called out Linux, for example, as a focus for 2023, where they're going to be providing new sub techniques, new updated procedures and focusing on other than on-prem Linux items, which implies to me like ICS stuff and serverless stuff potentially, which would be really cool. Yeah, they didn't mention cloud in in the in the article, but it was kind of you know vague generalities about it. we're going to do stuff with cloud. Yeah. So they may be talking about stuff there as well. Yeah, I don't know. They also mentioned one of their other focus areas. Oh, they did. They they also commented that Linux attacks tend to be underreported compared to Windows. They're probably also underdetected compared to Windows. The next focus area is defensive coverage. They're going to be adding more specifics on collection of data relative to detections with, quote, more in-depth look at data collection, analyzation, which I know that was a real word, and identification of a given technique. Researching new preventions. They have broad guidance right now in detections. If you go into an attack technique and you click on the detection bit, it will give you kind of a sentence or two about, you know, look for modifications to Active Directory objects. But unless you really know Active Directory, that's not incredibly helpful, unfortunately. So I think they're going to be adding some more details to that. And I also feel like there's a ton of duplicate work going on right now. We've talked about this before, where every company writes up its own rule to detect, say, an email compromise. And surely there are no doubt subtleties between companies. You know, one is using Office 365 and one is using Oracle or whatever ancient technology some companies are still using. But we need Lotus. way more... <laughs> we need way more sharing of content in a generic format like Sigma, such that we can just like that level, that base level of content, like everybody should just have it. And it should just, it should not take dedicated content engineers to spin up. And, you know, Splunk is adding that. And a lot of people are outsourcing that to the, the MSSPs, which is good, but I think we could do a lot better. So they're also adding stuff for ICS with more cross-domain mappings and changing the assets to include industries, interrelations, and how they, they fit into the existing structure. Yeah. They're also expanding mobile too, expanding the sub-techniques and adding mobile-specific data sources. That's super interesting because mobile is a pretty, pretty big hole in my knowledge. And then supposedly in October, they're adding structured detections. That's really cool too. So when they're talking about mobile-specific data source, are they talking about it's like- It's got to be like um, Android, right? Android MDMs, and Apple? Yeah. I guess. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. Because how would you get the logs off of Android to be detected on? You'd yeah, almost it's got to need... be M MDM stuff. Well, what's the, what is the MDM, the new term or the old term? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, so that, that'd be interesting to see exactly what they come out of, come out of that. Cause that's the only thing I can see right now feeding into, feeding you any, any information from mobile, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. And then you have campa campaigns. They're creating new campaigns from several APT groups and adding them to the knowledge base. And they're moving to do the same thing with ransomware operators as well. So, yeah. you know, you can't possibly protect yourself against APT and a ransomware operator. Unless it's an attack. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Because, I mean, you know how I feel about so-called threat intel and trying to predict how you're going to get hit. What I would rather see instead of APT groups and ransomware operators... They need, we're going to go back to insurance companies. 
What I want to see is I want to see the the an overlay and attack of the most common technique seen by incident response operators. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, even if an APT group targets my industry, that's not a guarantee they're going to come after me. And that doesn't mean that I get to ignore the rest of the attack matrix just because, you know, the APT group doesn't use it because you're getting hit constantly from a whole bunch of random attackers. So what I'd love to see is I'd love to see which 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 of these techniques are most successful for the bad guys and which ones they focus on. And then I'd like to prioritize those, like regardless of which group it is. Yeah, just by volume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because sure, there are people targeting you, and then there's just also the the random detritus of the internet that you get thrown, and you know the the people who bought an email list off of a dark web and are just sending their exploit everywhere they can. Yeah, it's kind of like the the intelligence concept of most likely and most dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The APT groups are the most dangerous, but they're not the most likely. Yep, that's a good call out. I'm gonna have to remember that. Final call out was cloud. They just said they were working to improve their current definition so users can better understand and utilize. I haven't actually looked at the cloud attack stuff, so I don't know. They apparently released it four years ago. God, how do you keep up with these? Like attack is great and I love that they're adding more details and stuff, but I still haven't fully assimilated like attack one yet. Mm-hmm. And they're on version 12. Yeah. I mean, if they've had cloud for four years and now they're working on better understanding and utilizing it. Yeah. You know. It, has it been total crap for the last three years? I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. The other thing that I don't know how to do here is, so a couple of years ago, I went out and mapped a bunch of stuff to attack. And then, you know, six months later, they released a new version and changed things. And now they've, you know, released like three new versions since then, and they've changed things. I have no idea how you keep up with your mapping if you specifically map to attack. Well, you probably... I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's something you have to build your own navigator, you know, build your own navigator system at, at, at on-prem or, or wherever you're hosting your stuff yeah. at. If only uh, we had an AI that could do this. But the oh, thing you is, if what? you build your own navigator, does that get automatic updates so that the framework gets updated with I the don't know. Uh, I don't with know, their changes? This, uh, this actually is a problem that could be solved via API. You could have, mm-hmm. They could have a translation mm-hmm. API where if you put in the old one, it spits out the new one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that's That'd all built into a, an XML, right? So you're talking, you, you take the XML, feed it into the translation, and it would spit out a new XML Maybe. that would fit yeah, the new I don't, framework. Yeah, I don't know how hard that would be. One other, one other last thing that they have on here is uh, AttackCon 4 is announced for October 24th through 25th in McLean, Virginia. I didn't know they had an AttackCon. I just barely missed the last one. I found out about it like the week before and didn't have time. Thanks for listening to the Security Serengeti podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Serengeti Sec and subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast app.